Hello, and welcome to another episode of the OysterCast. Today, we are talking with Francine Weiss, the senior curator for the Newport Art Museum, someone who I have the great pleasure of calling a friend and a colleague. Uh, one of the most interesting thinkers in art that I know. So let's give a listen to our conversation. We're talking about technology, the process of curation, telling the story with work, and what she kind of uses and thinks about when she's kind of exploring the world of visual art and art in general. Um, take a listen. Okay, we are recording, and we are here at the Newport Art Museum. What is the name of this building? Is this the Griswold building? Cushing building. The Cushing yep. building. Okay, let's try that again. <laughs> We are at the Cushing Building at the Newport Art Museum with Francine Weiss. What is your exact, I say curator, but what is the, like on your business card? It says senior curator, which is very deceptive because people think that I'm a lot older than I am, which is kind of nice in a way, I sure. guess. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's not, yeah, I knew curator was in there, but I just, yeah. and I knew but that. But that's like a misnomer because curators probably do a lot more than what the job title is, especially at a small museum. Fair. So. I yeah. don't know. It probably should be like multiple job titles, but it's senior curator right now. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Now, when we were kind of doing the pre-talk or whatever about this, it was, you know, the, the big question is how has technology affected or changed the way you do your job? How, first of all, like, let's take a little journey back in time okay. with Francine. Uh, how did you start and what was that like and kind of What's it like now and how has it changed? Is it better? Is it worse? How is it better? How is it worse? Yeah, well, I guess I'm old enough that I remember a pre-website um, universe. Okay. Um, so I guess when I started my career, I actually wasn't in museums at all or, or even in the art field and websites and web presence was just beginning. And I started off actually as a web designer. Okay. Like early on where you were coding. Um, and so when I got into this field and went to get my PhD, which was really, I, when I started my PhD is when I got my first museum job. They were mm -hmm. kind of went in tandem. So um, at that point, websites were much more common. And I remember that moment in particular when, well, for a while, I guess it would have been in like 2010, between 2010, 2012-ish, I was working at the National Gallery of Art. And one of my jobs there in the um, photo department was to write the web guides, like mm -hmm. tours, and also to write um, blurbs for our web objects. So I kind of saw in that job, you know, not only were artists kind of expected to have websites, but also um, museums were expected to have, you know, web components up to date and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, so there was that advance. And then, um, and then by the time I got to the Photographic Resource Center, like 2012, um, we had an online exhibition space and I was to program that each month. And I was, I had also had to edit Loop Magazine and find artists constantly mm -hmm. for those issues. We usually featured three artists plus an essay. And so I was doing the portfolio review circuit, but I was also finding a lot of people through, um, their web presences. Mm -hmm. And, um, I wasn't, it wasn't until much later that um, I was involved in any kind of social media, actually. I mean, I think at that point I was on Facebook, but I didn't actually get on Instagram until I took this job. Mm -hmm. um, so now, you know, websites are given, um, and so are online shows, and so are blogs, and, and all of that. But there's also the whole presence of social media. 
And as a curator, uh, I'd spend a lot of time promoting artists and shows on my own personal, mm-hmm. you know, account. But then the museum is also really planning out schedules of like, what do we promote and when and how do yeah. we promote the shows? But in addition, particularly when COVID happened, I have actually found artists on Instagram, you know, which I think surprises some people. But um, at a time when I couldn't do studio visits, couldn't do reviews, couldn't travel. Yeah. I And I, I, you find you have common interests with people through these social networks and that leads you to other artists you want to start following. And then you see works in progress that maybe aren't on their sites yet or haven't been shown yet. Mm-hmm. And so in particular, the, the show that we're in right now or outside of um, Hair Stories, a couple artists came to my attention through Instagram um, as well as artists related to the show that maybe I couldn't include because it was too late in the game. But mm-hmm. um, I did a lot of research via social media and I find a lot of new work that way. And people find me that way too. Mm-hmm. So that has been really great um, because it's not always possible, especially when you're like a working parent that you can get on a plane and go do studio visits all over the country and do reviews everywhere. And um, artists often can't afford to do those events as well. Um, so finding people through you know, the internet and social media has been a real, has been a godsend for me anyway. That makes sense. I, I, I think, you know, when we were, we kind of were the same age and we kind of came up in the same, but when I was getting advice as a yeah. student, it's like, oh, you got to put your, together your portfolio and you got to show it to people in front of them and portfolio yeah. reviews and all that stuff, a very right. analog kind of system. Yeah. And that has kind of baked into it a lot of privilege. Yes, I would say so. I mean, I think some of the organizations that host reviews have like scholarships, but yes, you have to have the time. <laughs> like <laughs> I think very logistically, you have to be able to take off time from your life and mm-hmm. your job to go do that, those reviews. And there are fees. And then there's, like you said, if you're going to prep prints or artwork mm-hmm. or schlep things around on a plane or a car, you have to have a certain amount of, you know, funding to do that Mm -hmm. and time so yes yeah and so i think it's great that you know you are finding artists on social media and that there is this kind of what there's this democratization but there's also what i think interesting is and a kind of a thing that i talk about or think about when i do both is you're starting to get an artist that maybe doesn't have the most interesting thing to say, but they're really savvy at packaging. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's not to say that you're a sucker to that. It's like, be, yeah. how do you, like what filters do you use now to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, if you will? Because the, yeah. the audience has just gotten huge. Right, well, um, I would say, so I might find artists on Instagram, but if I'm interested in exhibiting them or working with them in some you know longer pro- protracted way or whatever, um, and it could be a show or it could be something else. Um, I usually have to reach out to them and then mm-hmm. I have a conversation with them by zoom or by phone or we meet yeah. in person. And I often will go to a studio visit or ask for images of their work or, and the standard things you ask for when you're interested in artists and you're going to actually curate something or, you know, can I see your website? Can I see yeah. your images? Can I have an artist statement? And I think you learn pretty quickly when you talk to people about their work and what they have to say, whether yeah. or not they're really making, you know, enough of a body of work or strong enough work for, you know, a certain opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, and 
by that same token, you might see something on Instagram that has no story behind it except a little post. And yeah. you talk to the person, you're like, oh my goodness, there's so many more layers to this than I realized in that post. I'm glad I called this person and we mm-hmm. talked about this book they just read and yeah. these other 10 things they're working on that aren't anywhere you know, mm-hmm. visible and um, what their philosophy is and where they went to school and how that sh- shaped, how they're reacting to that or catering to that in some mm-hmm. way. Um, so there is that part of it. You know, I don't, um, I think curators still like to lay eyes on artists and lay eyes on work. Sure. And so the duping factor is pretty low, I think. Okay. No, that's fair. <laughs> I don't, I, I doubt, I mean, I've seen. I mean, I might follow a lot of people that, yeah. you know, I don't know enough about, but, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people following me that I don't know enough about, but in terms of like getting to the next point where you're yeah. working with somebody, um, there just are natural layers of that, mm-hmm. you know. I don't even think you really, I think most curators probably don't even think about what they actually do to separate the wheat and the chaff. They just kind of do it. Yeah. So. Well, that's what part of the job of a curator. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'll never forget the time when I was given a talk here for kids. I forget what. It what was it, the Met. I think it was the Met students, which, by the way, they still talk about that. They oh, love that so it. much. That was so great. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> but all I remember is I had this big old box of prints, and you just kind of like pulled out these prints, and you let, you sequenced like five of them. And I kind of looked down, and you were just doodling. I mean, you were yeah. just doodling. That's yeah. the only way to describe it. And it's yeah. like, hell, that looks, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so I think that natural kind of curation, that natural ability to to organize someone else, not even someone else's thinking, but just like to bring focus to a body of work, That it, that's something that can't necessarily be taught. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean... I probably don't even think about how I do it and I'm sure each curator does it differently but Mm -hmm. and like for myself I like to think that maybe that skill has been shaped over time but then also I think it has to do with the fact that I kind of started out as in college as an English major and studio art Mm -hmm. unofficial major so I have this dual interest in in writing and making work and and also thinking about work yeah and something about being a writer and an artist, I think, shapes how you put things together in mm-hmm. a story, a visual story. And for me, like especially working in a small museum, because we don't have a big exhibition design department that like yeah. makes little mockets and uses Google SketchUp, and you mm-hmm. know, it's just me with a pencil and a giant plan and a bunch of fuzzy math and mm-hmm. some thumbnails and ta- double-sided tape or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I choose all the exhibition colors and, the, and I determine the layout. And I have been told, you know, by people who come to the shows, like, oh, that's a really interesting color. And that, you know, mm-hmm. like even just right down to the colors you pick up the wall. And I'm like, how did that, how, how did that evolve? You yeah. know? Um, but it just kind of did. And uh, I also feel when I, especially when I work closely with an artist, if they're asking for advice, I think about what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So. When I curate a show and it's a group show, it's about my vision, who I'm putting together and how I'm sequencing them. Yeah. But if it's a solo show or it's someone's work and they're just asking my advice, I, I get inside their world. Mm-hmm. You know, what are they trying to say or do with this work? Mm-hmm. And what is the best possible way for them to accomplish that? Mm-hmm. And I think that may come from being a professor, like teaching at the, for a while I taught in, in a low residency MFA program and I've taught some undergrad classes too. and. In the low residency MFA, you know, you're not really telling people this is how work should be. Yeah, you're kind of get, getting in, meeting them where they are, getting into their world, and like, how is the way I can make 
what they want to do, the best possible version of it, or mm -hmm. help them ac accomplish the thing they're trying to do if they're one stop shy of that because they need more time. You know, it just yeah. takes time, it's process. But um, so I think those things come together to shape my judgment a little bit, but I couldn't really put my finger on any one thing. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, and as you talk, I think about, um, it's almost like your job is the, the storyteller of a storyteller. So like you, yeah. you, you know, yeah. like you're composing, not music, but they, they, I was, I'll just kind of riff off of what you said. Um, I was out in Arizona at the um, Center for Photography. It's yeah. the one in Tucson that yes. Rebecca, or is it Becky? It's Becky Senf and it's the Center for Creative Photography. Yeah. And I will tell you, I had like a little, I had a fellowship there for a couple of weeks and got to dive into all their collections, which were awesome. Yeah. So it's like a huge archive and collection of not just photographs, but also like all the papers. Mm -hmm. And it's focused, it started off, I think, I think it was founded by Ansel Adams yeah. and some other people. So there's like some significant archives there. And um, she has a high level position there and for a while was also at the Phoenix Art Museum. Yeah. So um, she's been there for a long time. And I think she also went there for undergrad. Yeah. So, because I was in grad school with her. That was, sorry, we, I just took you off track. No, there. no, that's <laughs> fine. That's great because. Uh, so you were I, there. Yeah. I, and <laughs> I, I I was watching, we went down in, to see the Avedon show and there was this yeah. big fat thing. And I just, you know, I mean, Avedon is, you know, he's kind of like meat and potatoes. I don't know what. If you want to get yeah. people to show up, you put on you know, Ansel yeah. Adams and Avedon. And I think that's exactly what the Were show the, Was the Avedon Platinum Prince? No. No. No, that's Irving Penn. Oh, sorry. I'm like way off topic. We'll edit know. that out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I need to wake up here. Sorry about uh, that. No, that's fine. It, it was Avedon. I forget yeah. exactly the show. But in any case, there was this big to-do. And I just remember seeing this picture of Polly Mellon on one side and it's, she's fashion editor or whatever. And then on the other side, there was this other portrait of a woman who was, I forget, I forget the, I just, it was the first time where I really recognized that a curator or the way you lay out a show is kind of having a conversation. There was this visual joke between like Polly Mellon with this really classic look and, and of examination. And I think it was, um, a nude model or something, yeah. you know, on the other side. And it was just kind of like scrutinizing. And yeah. it just was this moment of like, oh, Becky's having fun. Oh, yeah, she probably is. <laughs> yeah. Like she's, you know, and that kind of little note that, you know, just a secret yeah. language of how you're kind of, and, I, you know, the word curation has, I think, been overused. But oh, really, yeah. I ordered, my mom orders me this artisanal cheese from somewhere that gets shipped at Christmas and it's curated. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, if cheese can be curated, anybody can curate. Yeah. And <laughs> not so. Not yeah. so. And yeah. so like, how has, you kind of getting back to a, a thing, how has your job, you know, we, we talk about Instagram and we talk about how you kind of find this community and so forth. And how has that changed? How is technology now like if you could go back in time with the technology that you have now, how would it change the way you worked in the beginning? I mean, that's tricky because my career evolved with the technology. So okay. in the beginning, I didn't have the same job. Mm -hmm. um, so 
how would it have affected things? I mean, I can go back to the first time that I really felt like an actual curator as opposed to like an intern or a yeah, research talk about assistant. That. Yeah, that was at the court of a museum, which it was foundational for me. Right. Still is. And I'm still in touch with the people I worked for there who are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was there, I worked for Rachel Rosenfeld LeFoe and I worked for Nick Capasso, who's now the director of Fitchburg Art Museum. Okay. Um, and... Uh, so they introduced me to the studio visit. I mean, at mm-hmm. the time, De Cordova was a regional museum doing contemporary art. It's yeah. changed over time. It's now getting back to some of those regional roots. Uh, and studio visits were like an obligation. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they were enjoyable. We loved yeah. doing them. But it was like, we're doing studio visits on these days or this month. You know, We also, at that time, took unsolicited um, submissions, which meant we got a lot of stuff in the mail. Mm-hmm. And my job is like the junior curatorial fellow or, you know, assistant curator. It was, it was a curatorial fellowship, but it was really like a dab into a, a little jump into the, a dip, sorry, that's the mm-hmm. right word, into the pool of being curator. It was like an assistant curator job. So I was curating my own shows for the first time and doing uh-huh. studio visits with the curators and all my own in New York and in, in New England. And, um, I was proposing acquisitions with them and proposing shows and it was really very involved. And so we took all this unsolicited material. My job as the intern or sorry, fellow intern and then a fellow was to organize all of it and we would just go through it systematically. And then um, because, you know, it's the nonprofit world at the end, they were like, okay, now none of these people you know, wanted their stuff back or they didn't give a self-addressed stamped envelope. We're going to recycle the paper things. We'll move the digital files over here if we have them. Or at that time we were getting things yeah. on CDs, you know, or yep, whatever. Yep, yep. And then they were like, and then save all the paper clips. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, because they're like nonprofit, you can't waste anything. So yeah. it's like, okay, I'll get it. Say, okay, the green ones go here and mm-hmm. the silver ones. So we did all that. But if I had had this technology then, I we might have done fewer studio visits. Mm-hmm. We might have... I know they don't take unsolicited things now. Nobody does. I mean, people send them, but we don't. You don't put a thing on your site saying "send us your stuff." You mm-hmm. know, you hand, you handle that more judiciously because of the volume of things you get and because of security issues. Yeah. Um, so if I'd had this technology then, I think we probably would have, you know, not had pseudo visits as a regular activity, or or the visits might have been directed by things we were seeing on the internet or mm-hmm. getting, um, you know, through social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would have changed it. I probably also would have seen a lot more work. Mm-hmm. You know, I could only see at that time what I could get my car to or yeah. my airplane to mm-hmm. and what I had time for with my busy job. Like, as you see here, when you're installing, it's really busy. You actually can't, as a creator, leave the museum and go do visits no. when you're in the midst of installing a show. Or if you do, you, you're like, I'm here for one hour and then I'm back to yeah. make sure the team knows what they're doing and I've got a writing deadline. And, mm-hmm. um so that, uh, and then the, I mean, the other part too is after you work with artists or when you get to know them, they stay in touch and yeah. the staying in touch has gotten easier. And that would have been easier back then too, mm-hmm. with people updating me through, you know, um, their little, uh, MailChimp mm-hmm. <laughs> newsletters and sending new images, sending mm-hmm. it to their site when they update it, um, e-blasts, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And the museum also does all those things to keep members and non-members in the loop, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, the updating is much more sophisticated now than it was, you know, back then. Back then, it was like someone calling you saying, I have new work. And then they would send you something in the mail mm-hmm. or, or maybe email you attachments. And then you're like, I can't really tell what's going on here. I guess I have to talk to them or see the work. And, yeah. You know, um, so I'm able to cover more ground maybe now than I was then, yeah. just logistically. That's fair. Okay. Named because we're 
we should wind up here. Um, who are you looking at these days? Like, you know, if you want to drop names, I mean, you can, but I don't know if that puts you in trouble or if that. No. Um, well, I'm looking at a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people in this show, Hair Stories, which is opening July 17th, were the people I've been looking at for a long time. Okay. And it's like, um, it's interesting how it came together. It's like, I, like for instance, one of the artists in the show, Vivian Coulards, I work with at the PRC. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I found her through portfolio reviews mm-hmm. somewhere. Maybe in maybe it was Photolucida. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's been in the back of my mind all the, all these years, right? Mm-hmm. What is she doing? Is she still out there? You know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, I don't just curate photography anymore. So I do everything. Um, so I saw, um, some work by Nafis White, which is these sculptural works made with, um, you know, with hair and that got me thinking, oh, someone's working with hair. And then, um, Ann Wilson in Chicago, whose work in, is in the show came to my attention through our executive director who is from Chicago. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's also hair. And that just kind of like for a long time, these little things just were kind of like adding to my mental roster of like, who's mm-hmm. working with hair and what are they doing? But I will tell you, I'm, there are a lot of artists I'm interested in right now. One whose work I really love is Ebony Patterson. And her work is video, sculpture, installation, collage. Um, and I, I first saw her work and it was a series of portraits that were like, um, I think they were, I think they were photographs with drawing components and things added like rhinestones and fabrics. And I got really interested in her work and now she's really big. I mean, I don't even think she probably would have time to show here, but um, she's that, it's that kind of work I like. I love that work that kind of um, transcends its medium mm-hmm. and um, work that's expansive and also that speaks to what's going on right now. Um, her work deals so much with, with identity and culture and ritual. Mm-hmm that I really like it. And since I've taken this job, we've been working, you know, because of our interest at the museum, I've been working much more with video and sound artists. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me to see the number of artists that were doing maybe um, still photography mm-hmm. who've moved into those um, genres or even um, people who've done like sculpture who mm-hmm. are now incorporating video or a lot of textile artists who are doing projections and. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and along those lines, um, I've been working with Anu Matthew, who has a show here in the fall. And oh, cool. She, yeah, and she does, you know, she started off in still photography. I met mm-hmm. her through Decordova, actually. Like, yeah. talk about going back to, we, we met each other there. Mm-hmm. We were both, like, newbies, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now she's working in new media, video projection. Like, she's, mm-hmm. I don't think I would consider her a two-dimensional photographer anymore. Hmm. She's everywhere. And in, in different media and combining them and sculpture too. And then um, DM Whitman, who's from Maine, who's in this show, Hair Stories, I met because um, we taught together in New Hampshire for a while. And so I got to know her work. And she deals a lot with the environment and climate change. And she started off at doing alternative process work huh. and uh, moved in this direction of video. Mm-hmm. And so the work in this show by her is hair related and is a, is a two channel video installation. So she's now um, doing a lot of video work and thinking, well, now where does this fit in? You know, mm-hmm. because you're used to thinking of your career like I know, I you know, I do photography and yeah. I know the and I have a gallery and I know the venues, mm-hmm. but now I'm doing video and mm-hmm. who shows and collects that and where mm-hmm. does that go mm-hmm. and how does that fit in with my other work and how do I explain it and all of that. Mm-hmm. So that's been kind of interesting, just as her friend seeing her, you know, move into that direction, um, and that kind of excites me seeing the different 
directions people go in and, and seeing them experiment with the new medium and how that might relate to their previous work and mm-hmm. um and i i applaud that courage too because i think if you know your medium and you know your process and you've there's plenty of artists that just do the one thing they do like, yeah i'm an abstract painter i will always be an abstract painter and yeah. i will continue to be an abstract painter and it's done well for me i'm not going to do much else you know mm-hmm. and that works for them but i also really like to see that courage as someone who like strikes on a, a completely new mm-hmm. terrain and has to learn that new language uh, and then do something with it. You know? I agree. Yeah. I agree. I mean, and I have a, um, I'm, I'm always curious about people who have like the body of work that they've just been like hauling around. Yeah. And yeah. maybe it's the ADHD in me or yeah. ADD. I don't know. I just can't do that. And I feel, well, Yeah. I suck. <laughs> Cause no. I, I do remember when we were at De Cordova and we'd have artists recontact us with new work. I remember talking to the curators at the time and there was a feeling of like, what's their new work? Mm-hmm. What else are they going to, that was great. And we can keep showing that for 20 more years, but yeah. what is, what direction are we going in now? Mm-hmm. You know? And there was a kind of feeling of like wanting to see the work grow in some new way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that interesting because then it was like, oh, every every curator maybe has a little bit of a measure of like, you know, um, how much new things they want to see from artists and mm-hmm. when and what the timing is of that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's just you're so inundated with stuff. Maybe you're not paying as much attention to any one person and how they're growing, you know, mm-hmm. along the way. But at the time, I remember thinking that's really interesting. Like it's actually a bad thing in this field to not grow, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I'm sure not growing works for a lot of people, like you said, but the, they have the body of work and everyone wants it and everyone knows them for it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, they're imprisoned by it. They do something oh, yeah. new and everyone's like, I don't want to see, you know, your photographs of this or whatever. I liked it when you were doing these mm-hmm. things over here. What are you doing striking? You're good for this. Like mm-hmm. I remember talking to a gallery owner once and he was advising some artists and he was like, no, you can't do this because you're the, you're the um, cyanotype guy, yeah, yeah. you know? And I was like, you know, I get that the gallery might package someone that way, but like people can't be the whatever guy or gal mm-hmm. or guy gal mm-hmm. <laughs> forever, yeah. you know? Because I think the, there's a human desire to, you know, try new things and see what's possible. And, you know, so I, I think that's really interesting. The, idea, the whole idea of growth, you know, yeah. uh, anyway. Well, and it's funny because as an artist, you have to, but then there's this pressure to stay the stay recognizable. Right. Because it's branding. Yeah. It's branding. And it's also, um, it's a financial thing too, I'm sure. You know, if, if your thing, if you're being the, say you're the platinum guy, mm-hmm. if you're being the platinum guy who does photographs of, I don't know, sand, say. Yes. You know, and you make money from that and your gallery markets that and you're selling a bunch to collectors and you're getting shows. Then if you go off and you become the, I don't know, you know, you start doing African beadwork, mm-hmm. you know, you, you might be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but that's why I, I'm not, see, I think a curator kind of sometimes floats above the market a mm-hmm. little bit. I mean, totally. we're more scholarly and we see work when it's being worked on. We see work when it's being done and we often help grow artists without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have to worry about branding or how to package someone. We only have to really be concerned with the work 
that we're showing and how we're um, presenting that mm -hmm. and what it means and you know how it affects people so in that regard maybe the branding is a factor if that's called branding mm -hmm. you know the themes and the work and how someone's received um yeah so it's you know maybe i'm i'm more free of that than other people hey why not yeah. okay last question then we're, we're going to be done okay. and it's one of those these really cheesy cliches but what advice would you give for someone just coming out you know 21 years old yeah stars in their eyes and they say francine i have all the, i have this vision what should i do now they're probably telling us yeah but um it's interesting because i always ask when i whenever we do a zoom call here we have artists on the panel i'm like what advice would you give to a younger artist starting out and they're always really surprised by that question which mm -hmm. is because they're not ready for it um what advice would i give well there's a big difference between somebody who's this is going to sound strange to say someone who's coming who's 21 and coming out of college or life mm -hmm. versus somebody who's coming out of graduate school okay um so the person coming out of you know who's younger who hasn't been to graduate school i would say um they should just make a lot of work mm -hmm. and circulate and also look for their networks you know mm -hmm. when you come out of school you're kind of like just thrown into a an ocean yeah and um I think it's really important to establish your communities and have your support systems. All right. And and support systems that aren't competitive. Mm -hmm. Like school and grad school are competitive situations. Yeah. So you might not find your support system in graduate school. You might, you might mm -hmm. not, because yeah. they might be competing for funding and, and professor time and all mm -hmm. of that. So find your people, because I feel like in life I have found my people and I've seen them find each other. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to me that there were times where I'm like, you know, wonder about what it would be like to live somewhere else. And I'm like, oh, but I can't leave my people. Yeah. I mean, of course, my people are on Zoom. I mean, sure. they, I can find, but I, I really value that. And I think it's really good for artists to have that. And once you get out into your career, whether you're 21 or 31 or 41 or whatever, mm -hmm. beyond, um, you might want informal feedback from people who actually care about what happens to you. Yeah. And um, those can those can also be your informal people that way. In terms of like someone starting out who might be coming out of graduate school, I would say much of the same advice. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think sometimes graduate students have to shake loose what happened to them in grad school. Hmm. It could be something bad, like no one liked their work and they yeah. have that baggage yeah uh or someone told them you shouldn't be doing photography you should be doing quilt making you know mm. like someone didn't like their medium or didn't like their whole thing and then they get stuck with that mm -hmm. they get stuck with that they internalize that forever yeah. or um they were so accustomed to pleasing a, a select group of professors mm -hmm. and those professors maybe really liked them mm -hmm. but the work they were making for their program to graduate might have been very different from what someone wants to show later or yeah. what makes sense. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of times where I see students right out of graduate school whose artist statements are very jargon heavy mm -hmm. and the work is very elusive. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I know that you love this and I know you're informed by a lot of theory and I know your professors like this and are informed mm -hmm. by a lot of theory and we're, and we're, you know, um, giving you feedback for a thesis. Yeah. But I, I have to, um, present something for the layperson. Yeah. And I don't know how to explain this work. I can't use this jargon and I'm trying to explain this work to people mm -hmm. that don't know why they should even see work. You know, like mm -hmm. you have to think that way. Skeptical viewers, I call them. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you need, you have to shake yourself loose of that, of that language and those expectations and those perceptions mm-hmm. that you had in graduate school, I think. And some people are better at it than others. Yeah. I mean, some people, it, it depends on the nature of the graduate program and the dynamics there. Mm-hmm. So, um, that, that would be the advice there. And Fair. I think also like anyone starting out, just getting out there and getting your work seen, mm-hmm. doing some of the portfolio reviews, reaching out to curators, talking to people, getting your website up, yeah. you know, having a social media presence. Um, all of that is, is useful. Sounds good. Yeah. Francine, you're the best. You're the best too, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Let's just say we're both the best. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. All right, well, thank you very much. Yeah, Francine Weiss, senior Thanks. curator at the Newport Art Museum. Come see the show Hair Stories, opening when? July 17th. July 17th. birthday. Yeah. All right, I will be here. Yeah, cool. cool. All right, take care. You have been listening to the OysterCast, and I am Ron Cowie, your host, and that was Francine Weiss, the senior curator for the Newport Art Museum, a terrific thinker and person I am so psyched to be able to call her a friend and check out the show that she's curating. I think you'll love it. I just got to see a little smattering of it while I was setting up and it really is interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to going back myself. Thanks again and please like and subscribe if you liked the show and you want to hear more stuff like it. Uh, We're going to be talking with more people who at least I find interesting and I hope you will too. Thanks again for listening. Take care.